Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in this episode, we're going to go really far back in time. In a previous episode in Season 1, I talked about the Lewis Cass Expedition into the survey of Michigan, which opened up into a much broader survey which developed the lower counties. But in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the history that came before that and what inspired the Cass Expedition. And that was the Expedition by Edward Tiffin. So come along and join me. This is going to be a fascinating tour through some early history of our pioneer territory and how Michigan made its way into statehood. So to begin this story, we should start by looking at a man by the name of Edward Tiffin. It's T-I-F-F-I-N. And he was the first governor elected by the people of Ohio. And he was born in Carlisle, England on the 19th of June, 1766. And he eventually died many, many years later in Chilcoth, Ohio on the 9th of August, 1829. His parents were of moderate circumstances. His uncle Edward Parker, whose name he bore, assumed the care of his education. And he had been fitted for the study of medicine early on, which he entered into at an early age. But before he had completed his course of study, he embarked with his parents and family and arrived in New York when barely 18 years old. Then he went on to Philadelphia and attended the medical lectures at the University of Pennsylvania and afterwards rejoined his father's family who settled in Charlestown, uh, Berkeley County, Virginia, and began the practice of his profession when he was 20 years of age. So he was a medical doctor at that young of an age. In this practice, his thorough training had brought him speedily into the notice and drew a lot of attention. He was a handsome young man and had elegant manners. This made him a favorite among the fashionable people of the county. So here's where he married in 1789, Mary Worthington, who was the daughter of Colonel Robert Worthington and the sister of Thomas Worthington, who would also later go on to become an elected governor of Ohio. And she was a woman of fine culture with whom he lived happily for nearly 20 years. So in 1796, the territory of Ohio became of interest to him. It was an appealing new frontier. And so he journeyed across the Ohio River and settled in the town of Chillicoth, Ohio, which subsequently was the state capital at the time. And it was all part of the Northwest Territory. And the Northwest Territory included Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. It was a big, big territory. And Dr. Tiffin selected a four-acre lot at the upper end of this little town and built his first house, which was graced with a shingle roof, and he continued to practice his profession as a doctor. In 1799, the territory of Ohio was vying to become a state, and so they had to form the territorial legislature, and in those days, they picked the most prominent and successful men in the county and in the town to represent them in the, the legislature. And Tiffin was one of the men that was selected to serve in the state legislature on September 18, 1799 at Cincinnati. And at that time, Cincinnati was a scattered collection of the plainest of frame houses and log cabins under the protection of 
Fort Washington. This was really early pioneer time in Ohio. Now, Dr. Tiffin was unanimously elected speaker of the territorial legislature, and he retained that position to the close of the territorial government when they eventually became a state. In 1802, the election for delegates to frame a constitution had Tiffin, as well as many other famous prominent figures in the territory of Ohio, forming this constitution for the state. And in conclusion of those proceedings, he was elected as their candidate for the governor of the new state. And in January 1803, he was elected without opposition. He received unanimously all of the votes. So Ohio became an official U.S. state in 1803, and Tiffin was the first governor. And he would go on to serve as governor for two terms in Ohio. At the expiration of his second term as governor, he was elected to the United States Senate, taking the seat and being introduced to the assembled senators in December of 1807 by John Adams. His service in the Senate for his young and thriving state were many and valuable, particularly in securing appropriations for the improvement of the navigation of the Ohio River, the better transportation of mails, and the survey of the public lands. With the death of his wife in 1808, he became overwhelmed with sorrow, and this led to his resignation from the U.S. Senate in 1809. So he didn't serve very long as a U.S. senator because of this uh, tragedy in his life. But he was not, however, allowed to remain in private life very long. And the following autumn, he was elected to the state legislature, and he was unanimously chosen to be Speaker of the House. So he continued this role during several sessions. And during this period in his life, he married again. This lady was Miss Mary Porter of Delaware, whom her family had recently settled in Ross County, Ohio. Now, she was described as a lady of rare personal beauty, quiet manners, and exemplary piety. So useful a man in public affairs was Governor Tiffin that he could not be allowed to remain unemployed by the general government, and in the first term of President Madison's administration, he was selected to organize and take charge as commissioner of the public lands, this new department that was commissioned by the president. And this was wholly unsolicited by himself or any of his friends. But Madison reached out and asked him to take charge as the commissioner of this new public lands department that he was establishing. Madison was trying to pay the soldiers that had served in the War of 1812. And the way that he intended to do this, because they didn't have a lot of money in the government coffers, was to give them land in the new Northwest Territory. And an interesting note about this is that his department, when he was in charge of it, he was so organized in his state papers when he served in Washington, and he was so knowledgeable about the business at hand with the job in this public lands department that all of his papers were among the only ones saved in the burning of Washington City by the British in 1814. That was during the War of 1812. So his records were one of the few collections that were actually saved from that burning. But his home was in Ohio, and that was more attractive for him than being in Washington, D.C. And President Madison found that Tiffin was going to resign 
uh, because he didn't really want to be away from his wife and be in D.C. So therefore, he made an exchange and he changed his position to general land surveyor. And he appointed the man who was general land surveyor, Josiah Miggs, to become the one in charge of the office there at the public lands office. And he became head of the department. And Tiffin took over as the surveyor general, which allowed him to operate out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And he would remain in his position until his death. So that was his last primary position serving with the government. So he was the surveyor general of the Northwest Territory from 1814 to 1829. And he was also a lay preacher. And of course, as mentioned before, he was a medical doctor. And he conducted a survey of the Northwest Territory around 1815. And the purpose of this survey was because veterans were being awarded land in return for their service. And when he arrived in Michigan, bad weather partly to blame during the time that he did a survey, and he made a pretty damning report about the territory we know today as Michigan. So when he returned from his survey, he sent a report to the Secretary of War on November 30th, 1816. And in that report, this is what he wrote about the territory of Michigan. The immediate space between the swamps and lakes, which is probably nearly one half of the country, is, with very few exceptions, a poor, barren, sandy land on which scarcely any vegetation grows except very small scrubby oaks. The abandonment of colonization is urged as being dangerous and unnecessary. So basically he was saying that Michigan and its land was one big swampy mess and filled with lakes and scrubs and not really something that would be appealing to somebody trying to establish a farm. And it wasn't fit for agriculture. It was just this one great lake with a swampy top layer of crust that when you moved and with every step it crunched around and there really wasn't much there other than covered swamps and and basically the area was unfit for farming and so this was basically a major hatchet job on the full territory And and it could very well be that he only explored a portion of the state maybe it was the lower part of the state which was as we know there are a lot of swampy areas and perhaps during the time he came it was pretty bad weather conditions. So as a result of his report, much of the land and settlement began in Indiana, in Illinois, following this report that hit Washington, D.C. in 1816. And so for a very long time, Michigan was kind of blacklisted as a place for people that were interested in starting a homestead. And a lot of the War of 1812 veterans that were going to be given land in exchange for their service made their way into Indiana and Illinois and Wisconsin and ignored Michigan. And it wasn't until 1820 that Lewis Cass, who was the territorial governor of the Michigan Territory, said, you know, this is nonsense. This is not what I'm seeing up here. I'm going to do my own expedition. And so he hired a man by the name of Henry Rowe Schoolcraft, who was who was renowned for his expertise in mineralogy, and he asked him to accompany him and a group of men 
to survey the territory of Michigan. And I've already covered that whole expedition in a prior episode, but they went all the way around the northern part of Michigan, and they came down following the lake, and then they came across the southern part of Michigan. And part of the survey team came through southwest Michigan on the return to Detroit. And the result of his survey, a lot of the geological and mineral information that was brought back was attributed to Henry Rowe Schoolcraft. And because of this expedition, he changed the tone in the way people looked at Michigan. He wrote a comprehensive report following his expedition and submitted it to Washington. And at that point, activity started in the direction of surveying the lower counties, which took place about a decade later. And by 1831, the territory was opened up wide to a lot of War of 1812 veterans that still were looking for land. And they are among the early settlers. If you look at Battle Creek, Michigan, for example, Sands McCamley, was a War of 1812 veteran who was taking advantage of some of the land opportunities. He was also somewhat of an engineer, so he knew what to look for in terms of establishing a mill race, and that's how Battle Creek got founded. He was also involved with a group of men that helped found the city of Augusta, or the village of Augusta, and they were also investors in that, and many of those men were either involved with the War of 1812, or some of them were the sons of Revolutionary War veterans. So the first perception of Michigan came from the Tiffin survey, and that was a very negative one. And it lasted for almost a decade before, um, well, at least for five years before Lewis Cass decided to do something about it as the uh, territorial governor. So he was able to change the perception from this negative report. It still took some time before the lower counties were surveyed and broken up into different counties, and then they were able to plant all these lots of land and parcels of land out and make it available, which was similar to what happened in Indiana and Illinois and Wisconsin. But they were much farther ahead than Michigan at that point. That's why you see Michigan in the settlement of this part of the country of the Northwest Territory being among the latter part. And it was largely due to the Edward Tiffin survey that put almost a decade or 20 years behind schedule from the other areas. If you look at the establishment of the surrounding states in the Northwest Territory, Indiana became a state in December of 1816 and Illinois in December of 1818. And Michigan didn't become a state until 1837. Now, part of that was the delay from the dispute with the territory of Ohio over the Toledo Strip which they refer to as the Toledo War, which put on a delay for a few years there in settling that. So between the Tiffin survey, where he essentially trashed Michigan, and the Toledo War, which created some more dispute over the Strip and uh, the Toledo Strip issue, which awarded Michigan in that dispute the Upper Peninsula, which made the state even bigger than originally expected. It was originally just going to be the lower peninsula part. That would have been Michigan and something else would have probably been established for um, that land up there. More likely that would have been part of the state of of Wisconsin or uh, maybe even Minnesota. But either way, this is where you have this long-term dispute between Ohio and Michigan, which I think today bears out mostly between the football teams. But 
hey, that's where you have this rivalry between the two states. And it all started with Edward Tiffin. And a lot of the material today comes from this reference, Biographical Cyclopedia and Portrait Gallery on the History of Ohio, in the section called The Life of Edward Tiffin. So putting it into context, you have the establishment of the Northwest Territory. You have the various governors that took part in that, including William Henry Harrison. I believe he was the second Northwest Territorial governor appointed. And then you have Lewis Cass becoming the territorial governor of the Michigan Territory as Ohio was carved out and becomes a state in 1803. And then the different territories are starting to break up into states and the Michigan Territory is held back because of this initial survey by Edward Tiffin in 1815 to 1816. And so then following that, you have the Lewis Cass expedition that basically changed the whole tone and the way of uh, the state of Michigan was looked at and it became largely looked at for its natural resources that were omitted from the Edward Tiffin report. The forest, the mineralogy that was there, and a lot of that was due to Schoolcraft putting that information together as he was an expert on geology and his research in that whole section. And it was primarily the lower peninsula that they explored. At that point, the upper peninsula wasn't even on the table yet, and they even found more mineral resources in the Upper Peninsula, which became a later discovery after the state was formed that became quite an asset to the state of Michigan as far as copper and other minerals that were found up in the Upper Peninsula that started all these mining activities that were going on up there. So that's kind of the story here of the founding of the early pioneer section of Michigan and the Edward Tiffin Report from his survey of this area that changed the course and the timeline for Michigan ever becoming a state, and it was only turned around by the Lewis Cass expedition. But it does present a very interesting chapter in the history of Michigan, as well as Southwest Michigan, because it opened the doors to the lower counties being organized during that time after the eastern counties were formed, which is where all the great stories from this podcast come from. So that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at the Edward Tiffin expedition and survey and some of the history and life of this man, which was quite fascinating, even though a lot of it was over in Ohio, but it did have an impact on Southwest Michigan and the work that he did. So in the course of doing this podcast, I often run into people around the community and we talk about it. Some of them are marveled at the ability for me to keep up the quantity of episodes I have on this podcast. And I do have to admit, it is quite challenging sometimes. Sometimes I can record several episodes ahead of time, but quite often I am recording them just the week prior to their being released. Uh, Juggling it with all of the other activities I do as a volunteer for the community with the Battle Creek Regional History Museum and my own personal business that pays my bills. And, you know, you might ask yourself, why am I doing this? Well, I'm passionate about history and I love researching it and studying it. And it's kind of a a personal passion. But what's more important to me as an individual and perhaps a citizen of the country, I see the next generation coming behind us unfamiliar with the past And that has always bothered me. They don't understand history. And when you don't understand history, the old saying goes that you'll repeat the mistakes of history. And that is where I see a lot of things happening on the national spectrum right now with there's so many convoluted 
stories about history, or history is really not taught in schools as it was 50 years ago. In fact, the subject of history in many of the schools is morphed into this topic called social studies, when it's really not social studies, it's really history. This is what happened. These are what the people did. These are the hardships they endured. And these are the things that happened to them. And these are the bad mistakes that they made. And these are the triumphs they made. And you can learn from both. And the lessons taught from the past are invaluable if you study it as clearly as possible and examine it from the viewpoint of what actually happened and take away all bias and prejudice about particular subjects and look at it and and face the truth of history. And when you do that, it becomes a, a passion. You know, it becomes fascinating to learn and you become brighter and you become more clear with your own decisions because you have some kind of a context of the failures of others. If we are all to learn everything there is about life without studying history, and just by our own life experience, it's kind of a shallow existence if you really take a look at it. If you did not have the value of all the lessons learned from the hundreds of thousands and millions of people that have come before us, then you're also going to make all of those millions of mistakes. And if you can at least gain an understanding of history, you're going to be a lot better off and you're going to have a lot more success in life. And I just think that that's so important because there are a lot of folks out there that just are making bad decisions um, from the government levels all the way to the federal government, to the state government and local governments because they don't understand the history. And there's a lot of mistakes being made. And I think we all see that in our daily lives. And it's just something that I think is very important. So that's my personal passion behind it. I don't assume that everything I'm reading and studying about history from newspaper articles to biographies are 100% accurate. I think you have to look at multiple references to kind of get a context of what is happening or what happened during that time period. I think you have to look at a lot of different references about the subject so that you can get the context and the feel for what actually happened. And you can discern from that which was embellishment or which were lies or which were fabrication from what was hard facts. For the most part, obviously, you're not there personally seeing it and being a witness to it and writing down your own interpretations and viewpoint of what you observed. So you're relying on the observations of others when you research history. However, that being said, there's a lot of people that came before us that were passionate about recording the accuracy of what happened. And you have to be able to find who those people were and rely on them. I have found mistakes and errors, mostly clerical errors, in some of the books I've read and studied. And it's um, not something that I consider that everybody is 100% accurate with. And I find that when I'm doing research for anything I write, or anything that I try to put together on this podcast. And I have made mistakes, and I always try to go back and correct those mistakes whenever I find new material that counters some other information that I put on the podcast. But still doesn't navigate you away from the importance of studying history and learning it for yourself. And that's why I put this podcast together. So if you would like to support the work that I'm doing here, I do have a website, michaeldelaware.com. There is a link on there called... Libra Pay, where you can make a reoccurring donation to the work that I do here. You can set it up for a dollar a month, five dollars a month, whatever you want. All of that money goes towards helping me offset the cost of some of the research material that I have to subscribe to to maintain the content on this podcast. It also helps me with some of the uh, the fees involved with paying for the services to put this thing together. And it all, all of that goes into um, 
keeping this podcast alive. And then also, if somebody is out there and they're interested in becoming an advertiser or sponsor of the podcast, there is a link on the website as well. You can reach out to me if you have a local business in Southwest Michigan or Battle Creek, uh, particularly, and you'd like to be on, have me announce your business here and there on some of my episodes. I hope that I have some of those people signing up. I just launched that program in January. And I'm hoping to have some sponsors coming up uh, this year on that where I can give a shout out to some local businesses and share their information and their passion about history and keeping history alive. And all of that, of course, goes to help support the work that I'm doing on this channel. That being said, you can always reach out to me at michaeldelaware.com and send me a message as well if you have some information you'd like to uh, share with me about a future story. And I'm always interested and happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.